Hello, this is Derek Ray, and you're listening to Bavarian Podcast Works. Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of the Bavarian Podcast Works show my name is jake fenner i am joined by tom adams tom it's been a rough week for both of us but you especially losing two teams in the champions league how are you feeling on this thursday night a little bit better now jake as you mentioned it's been a rough week for me as a fan i'm about a little bit more than 24 hours out of both of my beloved teams crashing out of the champions league and basically having all of the teams i despise the most left in the competition so as we had bantered with the Borussia Dortmund and the Juventus SB Nation blogs on Twitter yesterday. We're just going to go ahead and root for Kate Abdo because of her fantastic linguistic skills, the ability to speak multiple languages, and Micah Richards as well, just his contagious laugh. So those are the things I'm going to look forward to. We're all going to win with, with those two, and yeah, don't really care who wins the competition now. Uh, yeah, I'd have to say we're in full agreement there, so I figure that that would be a decent place to just go ahead and start off how everybody else fared in the Champions League. Uh, As you previously mentioned, Manchester City uh, beating Dortmund uh, by an aggregate score of 4-2. It was a 2-1 score in both legs. Uh, Real Madrid beat Liverpool 3-1 in the first leg, and then both teams laid a goose egg on the second round, so nothing really exciting there. Porto and Chelsea the game that was being played at the same time as Bayern. Porto came in with a very similar situation. They needed two goals. Um, They needed two away goals, really, (coughs) to go ahead and make this an interesting tie. They were unable to do that. 2-1 is the final score. That sets up a Real Madrid-Chelsea semifinal and a PSG-Man City semifinal. So... I won't ask who you're rooting for, Tom, because obviously um, that's a tough choice. It's a personal choice, right? I feel like the only team that Bayern has not had a really bad history with in this is Manchester City. Um, I understand why you wouldn't root for Manchester City, especially considering the rivalry that Manchester and Liverpool teams have with each other. Um, I personally guess I would probably most likely root for Manchester City just because I think Pep Guardiola left Bayern on decent terms and I don't really have a bone to pick with them I'm obviously not going to root for PSG because they just kicked this out and because you know Qatar which yes I know we're also Qatar but they are more Qatar than we are Qatar um Real Madrid there's no way on this planet that I will ever root for Real Madrid in anything and then Chelsea, similar situation uh, to PSG, especially considering uh, previous fixtures. So I'll just ask this, because you you already gave who you're rooting for. You're rooting for Kate Abdo, which we are all rooting for Kate Abdo here. Um, I just guess, what do you look forward to in these two ties, and who do you favor to make the finals? Well, I mean, I guess that's a, a separate question from who would I be rooting for. I, uh, going to the other side of the bracket, right, uh, the one that we are not on, 
So the winner of Liverpool, Real Madrid, obviously you face the winner of Chelsea, Porto. We know now that that's Real Madrid and Chelsea. And I'm looking at that one, and I, I just feel like looking at this, a lot of people would presume that Chelsea of the remaining teams are the underdogs. Uh, but Jake, as I had written today about Hansi Flick, you know, back in February, he had made the prediction because he's a guy who knows Thomas Tuchel very well. Uh, and I think anyone who's a fan of the Premier League or watches the Premier League knows just how well Chelsea have been playing since he took over for Frank Lampard. Yes, that 5-2 loss to West Brom was a, a blip on the radar, but you know that was largely helped in West Brom and Big Sam's favor by uh, Thiago Silva's two yellow cards in the inside of the first half. I mean, that, I personally think that game would have been a lot different if that didn't happen, but I'm very excited for that tie. I know everyone's looking on the other side, PSG, Man City, you know, the two quote-unquote oil clubs, but... You know, I really feel that that Chelsea has what it takes. I think Thomas Tuchel is going to get this right uh, because I think Liverpool, despite being outplayed uh, in the two legs against Real Madrid, I think they exposed some of the weaknesses that Real Madrid had. And if you really look at it holistically, if you go back to the first leg, arguably I think Allison should have done way better on one of uh, Vinicius's goals, and uh, the other one, actually, it might have been the one that Benzema scored. Now that I think about it, but. Uh, there was one, just a terrible header back to Allison from Alexander Arnold. I mean, gifts, really. So the difference between 1-1 and 3-1 in that tie really made the difference because, Jake, I don't, I'm not sure how much you watched uh, yesterday. I know a lot of us as Bundesliga fans were monitoring Borussia Dortmund and Man City, who uh, I really felt that that tie got kind of washed because... We all know that Jude Bellingham was robbed of a completely good goal in the first leg, which would have been an away goal. And uh, I really feel for Borussia Dortmund, but but Jake Liverpool uh, created a lot of chances between both legs, more so in the second leg, where Real Madrid played very defensively. And you know, as I had written today in that piece about Hansi Flick making the Thomas Tuchel and the Chelsea prediction, you know, saying that they would progress to this stage, there's a lot of guys uh, in an attacking sense that are, you know, pretty. Pretty peak form right now. Christian Pulisic, you know, our American hero in one. Hakim Zayak has had a lot of good performances lately. Uh, Olivier Giroud, who scored that amazing goal in the Champions League in the first leg against Atletico Madrid uh, a few weeks back. Uh, Timo Werner, he's starting to, to rev it up a little bit. And I know somewhere Chuck's ears are tingling now that I've said his name. But I'm really excited. Uh, you know, Kai Havertz as well is a guy I, I should have mentioned that's having... Uh, a bit of a resurgence of form. He was one of those guys where he had a lot of after effects after getting COVID, wasn't quite uh, the same player when he immediately came back. He's starting to come to fruition now. And especially for us, Jake, as, as Bayern fans and fans of the Bundesliga as a whole, I'm really excited to see how those guys will fare uh, against Real Madrid. And I'm really excited for, for that tie. The other side of the bracket, it's just so infuriating. I know we've talked about Neymar, his play acting, Angel Di Maria rolling around on the floor, you know, the theatrics and... Um, Man City, I, I would say perhaps a little bit guilty of that as well. Bernardo Silva, uh, you know, Sergio Aguero, some guys, they, they do that a lot. Not to, not to discredit them as players at all. They're world class, but, you know, I'm just kind of going to be watching that. Those legs on that side of the bracket just kind of rolling my eyes. But we'll see who wins. But uh, I really hope uh, Chelsea can surprise everyone against Real Madrid. And I could care less who goes through on the other side, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> As much as I don't want it to be an all-English final, I would prefer it to be an all-English final. Um, just for the fact that I don't want Real Madrid to make it any farther than this. 
the enemy of my enemy is my friend in this scenario, and I don't think there's any club that I dislike more than Real Madrid. So at this point, I'm going to go ahead and root for Chelsea to make it through on there. And then opposite side, I'll go Man City, and my hope is that Man City will beat Chelsea, just because I think it would be very nice if uh, Sergio Aguero won a Champions League in his um, in his last season with the Sky Blues. And I... I I'll, I'll feel sad that David Silva didn't make it, uh all the way, but I think Kevin De Bruyne, as as highly credited as he is as a player, I think he deserves a lot more attributes in terms of trophies than he already has, and I think him winning a Champions League with uh, Man City would be fantastic. Not to mention, Man City deserves to win this on their kits alone, right? If this was a if this was a, a question of which team would advance because of their jerseys? Man City would win in a landslide over everybody in this, uh, but that isn't the case. I think, regardless, I think Man City is a much better set-up team than PSG is right now. I think that's why they'll go through. And then for Real and Chelsea, as inconsistent as Chelsea's front is... um. I don't know if I've seen enough out of Real Madrid in order for me to convince myself that they're like uh, as stable of a team as Chelsea is. So to me, I almost see that as like for like. And uh, that'll just be a fun matchup regardless. But yeah, I think those are my picks. Those are my hopes. And with that, we are going to move on to um, not the transfer news or the coaching news that we will talk about later, uh, a bit of a reaction in the aftermath of, uh, Byron being eliminated. I had seen this, uh, this article that came out from an ESPN writer, uh, Gabriel Marcotti, and I'm a fan of Gab Marcotti's writing, but this was an interesting article. The headline of this says, Bayern Munich face a painful rebuild after Champions League exit. Judging recent transfers, it won't be easy. The basic synthesis of the argument is, and if Gab listens to this, he can go ahead and tell me that I'm wrong, but I read this and then I watched a clip of a video from the podcast that he does with Julian Laurence with uh, ESPN FC, where basically the crux of his argument was that Bayern's players are getting a lot older, and so they need to rebuild by getting younger, talented players, but the players that they have spent a lot of money on so far have not helped them, and they have not matched expectations. He pointed out specifically Luca Hernandez and Leroy Sané, as well as Corentin Tolisso and Javi Martinez, which... Um, I want to get to, like, each of the players that he mentioned, I guess, in a little bit. But I will save my thoughts and opinions for after you share yours, Tom. So I want you to go ahead and go first. Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's a lengthy article for, for those who get the chance to actually read it. Um, he does make a lot of decent points, but, you know, I also kind of got... Yeah, I think the headline said something about Bayern needing a complete overhaul or a rehaul 
of their squad after getting knocked out of the Champions League. And he does kind of mention, you know, the circumstances have not been working in our favor at all with, you know, the financial hardships like every club has faced because of the coronavirus pandemic, the injuries we've had, especially as of late. You know, I think against both legs against PSG, we only fielded what, uh, like six or seven subs of an available, Jake, I think it's 12 or 15. And PSG had uh, listed all of their subs uh, in both of those legs. You know, Lewandowski, Leon Goretzka, no Korn Contaliso, no Buona Sar for that one, no Douglas Costa. It's just like the injury list goes on and on. No Nicolas Sula, which did not help whatsoever, not to discredit the way Luca Hernandez and Boateng played against PSG because I thought they were both pretty good, and especially Luca Hernandez in that second leg. I thought he was phenomenal. But, you know, you know it's it's hard as a Bayern fan, you know, it's really hard to look at this objectively, 100% completely, given, Jake, that day in and day out we're covering this team and extensively reading and writing about them on a constant basis. I know a lot of these other pundits have other things to focus on and they don't, you know, they're not beat writers for any one club. Um, you know, and I, I, I'm a big fan of Gab Marcotti's. I, I like his work. I, I like the podcast that he does with Laurent, Jake, who you spoke with ahead of the Champions League final last year, which was a great episode. I just, to me, I, I just think that, like the circumstances, the severity of the circumstances, in my opinion, given, you know, coronavirus, the injuries kind of outweigh uh, the major problems to the squad. I mean, no one could have predicted the amount of injuries that we would have had at this point, even with the fact that matches are so congested because of the amount of schedule that we missed this time last year. And I just, you know, like as you said, I think the right personnel are there. I think it's more of an issue of we don't need a major squad overhaul, but we need to have the clarity in the approach, right? And this goes back to the discrepancies between Hansi Flick and even before that, Niko Kovac and Hassan Salihamidzic, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, Uli Honus, Bayern's executive board and the supervisory board. And we've talked about this at length, but you know the point that Marcotti ha- highlighted in this was the fact that Hansi Flick had you know continuously asked for reinforcements in certain positions and he wanted to get business done much, much earlier then they inevitably got it done. And then we brought in, uh, what was it, Buonasar, Douglas Costa, uh, and Eric Maxim Chwapamotang, essentially on deadline day before the window had closed. And, you know, I think we all understand that Hansi Flick was not happy with that at all, especially since he was pressing the issue. But it's that argument where the manager is never going to outweigh Bayern's sporting director and the executive board and the supervisory board. That's just the way the club is run. Uh, there's a lot of gray areas to that. It's not cut and dry, black and white. Uh, And we have to understand Bayern is such a fiscally responsible and well-run club and brand uh, that we can't just sit here and bash the board. But I really just think that's what it comes down to. I mean, Marcotti made all those points, but it's I don't think it's necessarily as much of the squad needing a complete overhaul. I think that's a bit aggressive. Uh, of a word. Yes, he brought up the age of Lewandowski and and Thomas Muller, but in my opinion, Bayern's board is 210% aware of this. They're already planning for the future. We might not be told about this, even though we have the German press like Build, Sport Build, and Kicker that really like to dig in and, and get those details, but 
just because they're not saying something doesn't mean it's not happening. I guess that's kind of where I where I stand on that. You know, I have faith in the board. I mean, yes, it sucks all the tensions and the discrepancies between Flick and Brazo and, and the board, but I mean, there's a reason why we're such a well-run club, and you know, you can't just change that because uh, one manager is very very liked. But it's such a difficult thing, Jake, because I love Hansi Flick so much, and I know 90% of us do too. So. It might be a difficult couple of months after the the Bundesliga season concludes. We have a job to do, so for now, put all of our faith and flick in the boys, and we've got a we've got a Meisterschale to lift. So, I'm a person that like I'm a very critical person of all of the teams that I support. So I did my best to be impartial, and I think I did a relatively good job when I thought about this because I agree with your point. Tom, and I agree with Gab's point. Yes, Bayern in the future is going to need to rebuild, but I think it's less of a rebuild and more of a reload. Because when I hear the term rebuild, I think of what Barcelona is going through, right? I think of like in American sports, right? Like in hockey, like what the Buffalo Sabres need to do in football in American football, right? What the New York Jets need to do, right? Those are teams that don't have enough star power and staying power in order to bring them success, right? And I think it's a bold statement to say that a team needs an entire rebuild one year after they won the Champions League. Yes, Lewandowski's getting older. Yes, Muller's getting older. Yes, Neuer's getting older. But you could also make the argument that regardless of age, they're the best players in their positions, right? You could argue that Neuer's the best, right? You, I imagine a lot of people would say that Muller isn't, but I think a lot of Bayern people would at least say that he is. And I think right now, other than the fact that he was injured prior to his injury, you would pretty much only have an argument with Harry Kane as to whether or not Lewandowski was the best player in the world. And so I think it was less critical about like the age of the players and more a criticism of how Bayern has done their transfer business. right? And he specifically pointed out like the most expensive players that Bayern has had. So for everybody that does not know, I'm looking at the transfer marks page right now. Allow me to tell you Bayern's top 10 transfers from 10 to 1, right? At 10, we have Renato Sanchez at 35 million. Number 9, we have Benjamin Pavard at 35 million. 8, Mats Hummels from the 16-17 season at 35 million. Number 7, Mario Goza at the 13-14 season at 37 million. Number 6, Arturo Vidal, inform prime Arturo Vidal from Juventus at 39.25 million. Javi Martinez at number 5 was for a long time Bayern's record transfer at 40 million euros from the 2012-2013 season. At number 4, we have Corentin Tolisso uh, from the 17-18 season at 41 and a half. At number three, we have Dio Upamecano, who's yet to join Bayern. Uh, at number two, we have Leroy Sané. And then at number one, we have Luca Hernandez, who came in at 80 million euros. And so, if I remember correctly from the video and from the article, I want to try my best to try and tackle like each of his arguments for this. right? So his argument for Luca Hernandez was that he's their most expensive signing, but he's been injured for a long time that he's been there. And my immediate counter-argument to that is this is his second season. I, I don't think that it's fair 
to say that a player like Luca Hernandez is a failure at Bayern because he's been there one season, right? Just like, I don't necessarily think Leroy Sané is a failure. Have I been critical of him? Yes, because he deserves it. He's taking some time to adjust. I don't necessarily think he's, like, got the confidence. But that doesn't mean that I'm ready to write off the entire transfer because of we're basically not even done with an entire season of his play, right? Upamakano's uh, not a thing yet at Bayern, right? At number five, right, I'm purposely skipping over a couple of these, right? At number five is Javi Martinez, and his criticism of this transfer, I'm scrolling down right now, looking directly at the article, uh, he said, or indeed Javi Martinez, he crossed 40 million euros back in 2012, but averages less than 13 leagues starts a season over nearly nine years. And that's true. I would agree with that, right? But I'd also say that similar to how Luca Hernandez, it's unfair to completely like, like cross off somebody who, uh, who came in and has been injured for a while and it's not even been two seasons yet. I think it's almost similarly unfair to like say that now, as of now, Javi Martinez is a failure as a signing because I don't think that's true. I don't think that that's entirely true. He praised Arturo Vidal and I agree with that. He praised Matt Tummels. I agree with that. Pavar, I'm in a similar vote with her boat with Hernandez. And that leaves three transfers that I haven't mentioned, right? Corinton Tolisso, Mario Goza, and Renato Sanchez, right? I think it's weird to say that like those are failures of transfers because they were all speculative transfers. Right, they were all young players. Mario Gozzo was 21 when Byron bought him in the 2013-14 season, and he was being hailed as a German Messi. If you're Bayern, you're going to sign the German Messi, right? The kid had a lot of potential, right? He didn't exactly fit in at Bayern. There weren't coaches that necessarily nurtured him in the exact way, and it was unfortunate how his career turned out. He's kicking it back up at PSV Eindhoven, but it's definitely not at the level that he was when he was at Dortmund before he joined. I would definitely agree that that's a criticism of Bayern, but I don't necessarily think that that's a terrible transfer because it's hard to tell at the time what a player is going to do down the line, right? Corentin Tolisso, I admit at the time, I thought it was a little bit of an out there decision. Um, I like Tolisso. I think he does pretty well, but I can understand why paying $41.5 million for him seems like a little bit too much. I would agree with that concept. The one that I think I absolutely disagree with is Renato Sanchez and saying that Renato Sanchez was a failure of a signing by Bayern Munich because, correct me if I'm wrong, Tom, but I think every major club in Europe was going after Renato Sanchez in the summer of 2016, right? If Bayern wasn't going to get him, then he was going to go to Chelsea or he was going to go to Real Madrid or he was going to go to Barcelona or Juventus or PSG or somewhere else. And then you could kick that can down the road, right? Who's to say that he would have faced the similar problems at Bayern Munich and the similar, I'm going to say attitude, but even though like, that's not exactly the word that I'm going for. Like, Temperament isn't even that word either, right? Like, he wasn't mature. That's the word. He wasn't exactly as mature as people thought. He didn't mature as people thought he would, right? He's better now at Lille, 
right? He's absolutely better now at Lille. But to say that he's a failure of a signing because an 18-year-old kid that won best young player at the Euros didn't live up to his 35 million euro expectation is, I think, a little bit harsh. Because Bayern, if Bayern didn't make that transfer, then a number of other clubs were going to make that decision. So I think if you remove all the players that they brought in as speculation, right? So like Pavar, he was relatively established, right? Homos was 27. Arto Vidal was 28. Javi Martinez was pretty proven at Atleti. Uh, Sané and Hernandez, relatively speculative, but they both showed promise, right? If you take away Renato Sanchez and Mario Goza, and I'll also say Corentin Tolisso, the next three signings on Bayern's list are Mario Gomez, Manuel Neuer, and Douglas Costa. And then, actually, it's a four-way tie. It's Mario Goza, Manuel Neuer, Douglas Costa, and Frank Ribéry. So all four of those players came in for only 5 million euro less than a speculative transfer on Renato Sanchez, and all of them did very well for the club, right? So I imagine this is the point where I think a lot of people would say, you know, your your bias is showing, and I would agree with that, but I don't necessarily think that it's always the club's fault for spending a lot of money on speculative transfers and the hopes that a player is going to turn out, right? Because you could bump into a Corentin and a Mario Goza and a Renato Sanchez, and that's a combined somewhere in the range of above 100 million euros, right? And you're out on three mistakes over 100 million euros, and that's not necessarily good, right? But I think Barcelona spent about 80 or 90 million euros on, like, Usman Dembele, and he's probably turned out, I think, a lot worse um, in terms of expectation than any of the other three, right? Renato Sanchez, as he came into Bayern, was coming off at the back of winning the Euros, right? Mario Goza, after coming to Bayern, won a World Cup. Corentin Tolisso, after coming to Bayern, won a World Cup. So I think it's... I think he's right. I think Bayern should be wary about who they buy, but if you consider, right, that Bayern doesn't always rebuild by buying big, right? Like, if you consider, like, the better players over Bayern over the last couple of years, right? Ribery at 30 million wasn't that expensive, right? Robin around the 20s was not that expensive. Lewandowski on a free wasn't expensive. They promoted Alaba and Muller from the academy, right? They got Gnabry for nothing, right? They got Kimmich for nothing, right? So a lot of the core players on Bayern aren't major transfers. So I agree with him that you shouldn't spend money just for the sake of spending money. But I also think it's a, I think it's a, a harsh statement to say that just because Bayern's big transfers don't work out means that everybody should be afraid about big names that Bayern is gunning for, and that because their players are currently getting old, they need an entire rebuild. I I think my main problem with this is the word rebuild. Again, I'll go back to that point. I feel like it's more of a reload than a rebuild. And I'm sorry I just ranted for a very long time. So I'm going to transfer into something very quickly, uh, very quick pivot, uh, 
Tom, uh, the Byron board is firmly believing that they will be able to get their hands on Erling Holland in 2022. His agent, Mino Raiola, wants him to be what he says is the first million... Uh, the first million euro a week player in European football, even though I believe that was already taken by Lionel Messi. Um, Bayern have been wary about transfers in the past, right? It's a 65 million euro release clause, which I think Bayern would probably easily be able to pay, but it's the wages that might come into trouble. First of all, do you think Bayern will be able to get him in 2022 and that a club won't be able to pony up the money now in order to get, get him this summer? And two... Do you think that when it comes down to Raiola and his contract demands for his client, do you think Byron would be able to be in a position to pay all of that? The first question, it's definitely not impossible. But as you mentioned, there's such a threat from other clubs that can afford him, you know, prior to 2022. And that's the danger. Um, as much as I would love to have him at Byron, I just don't see it as feasible, especially with Lewandowski. You know, I was, I was going to mention, Jake, when you were talking about the Marcotti article and, you know, Thomas Muller and Robert Lewandowski getting up there in age, you know, 33 and 32 for the average player is one thing. But those ages for those two guys is entirely something different. I mean, you know, they're absolutely in, in top physical shape. And I think Muller, especially last season, was in the form of his life after Hansi Flick was in charge. So it's hard to argue that. 32 and 33 is a high age for those two with the way they're playing right now. But Erling Holland is, you know, especially for Bundesliga fans, you see Lewandowski is the present and Erling Holland is the future, right? Of number nines and strikers, not only in Germany, but in the world. I would love to have him at Bayern. I just, I don't think Bayern and the way they're run will be able and willing to spend a ridiculous amount of money. And question number two, Jake, especially, you know, I don't want to say anything about Mino Raiola's character or who he is as a man and a person, but, you know, I just know a lot of the transfers that he's brokered and that he's been involved in and the drama and the length of time that a lot of them take. I remember how long it took to get a fee agreed for Paul Pogba when he came to Manchester United a few summers ago and, Likewise, I believe, Jake, he was Neymar's agent as well when he moved from uh, Barcelona to PSG. We all know how long that took. There was a lot of sketchy details about making sure Neymar's father got enough of the cut from the transfer fee. I guess he's uh, a representative for Neymar uh, in, in some way, shape, or form. I'm not really sure specifically how, but, um, you know, there's a lot of... And, you know, Mino Raiola has also come out too recently in the, the FIFA video games and, and PES, I believe, trying to, to lobby for a lawsuit to make sure his players get paid uh, for their likeness in those video games. So it's just a lot of stuff that kind of makes me uh, figuratively raise my eyebrows and, and question things. Again, no indictment on him as a person. I don't know him. I would never judge someone without knowing them or, you know, getting to know them, knowing things about them. But, yeah, <laughs> I just something about Mino Raiola and big transfer fees and Bayern's executive and supervisory board just does not mesh whatsoever in my mind. I think it's tough. I think Bayern will probably need somebody to replace Lewandowski within two years, and I imagine that that's a bold statement uh, for a lot of people, but I think it's an accurate statement. 
Um, I think Holland would probably be the best person to do that. And considering that, like, to my mind right now, I can't imagine many other strikers on the level of Lewandowski being able to come in. Um, yeah, I think, I think that, I don't know, it's almost like as if Bayern has to, right? To keep up their reputation of having the best team in the Bundesliga, it would make sense to go ahead and grab who... I hate to say it, but I think at that time, by 2022, if he stays with Dortmund, I think he'd be the best player in the Bundesliga. I, I easily think Erling Haaland would be the best player in the Bundesliga if he stayed at Dortmund until 22. And so, what I think is that Bayern should try to go for him. Will they go for him? I can see it, right? If they're willing to dole out $80 million on Luca Hernandez, then... I could see them doling out $65 million on Erling Haaland. Um, the only question is whether or not he'd accept it. I think he would. I think he wants to go to a big club, but I don't necessarily know if he wants to go to a big club anywhere or specifically a place like a big club in England. So, especially considering that next year he has the potential to play Champions League football at Man City and Man United, right, I think that might be the thing. That might be the thing that decides whether or not he leaves this summer, right? If Dortmund don't find a way to qualify for the Champions League, I think he leaves this summer. There's no way that Erling Haaland is going to subject himself to playing... Um, to playing Europa League football again. He's not going to want to do that. He, I think in a couple of cases, doesn't necessarily deserve to do that. So I can see him gone. I can see him, I can see him gone if that happens. If he stays, then I think it's a coin flip. Uh, knowing Raiola, he would probably want to push that transfer fee because he would want to get the commissions off of it. But um, whether or not it actually happens, we will, we will have to see. Uh, the last thing that we are going to touch on in this episode, uh, it seems imminent that Bayern are going to need to find a new coach. Um, there are reports before the Champions League failure, there are reports after the Champions League failure, um, that uh, Hansi's destined to leave for the DFB. And I had that opinion even before Bayern got officially knocked out in the second leg. Uh, Long story short, for my tinfoil hat theory, uh, it's Hansi to the DFB, Nagelsmann to Bayern, and then Jesse Marsh from Salzburg to Leipzig. Um, specifically touching on Nagelsmann, supposedly Bayern would have to pay about 15 to 20 million euros to Leipzig in order to release Nagelsmann from that contract. If Hansi leaves, Tom, do you think that's a fair price for him? I mean, all things considered, it's like, how do you, it's so tough to put like a price tag on anything, especially what we experienced last season uh, up until now. But it's so, it's so like, it's just one thing, you know, when you're looking at players and their, their transfer valuations and, you know, release clauses in their contracts, it's one thing. But for managers, it's such a, 
a difficult comparison to value their worth, right? You know, everything they do for the club, whether it's just the wins, the losses, and the draws record, or, you know, how far they go in whatever competition it is, or, you know, it's the ins and the outs, what they say in the locker room, what they're doing uh, in and around the ground, how they man-manage, the one-on-one conversations that they have uh, with each and every one of the players. So I guess I don't want to just, like, say I don't know, <laughs> but I, I don't really – I mean, it. I just – I would say I trust the board in the sense, and I trust the people making the decisions. They wouldn't over or underpay for any manager regardless of the situation, um, but <laughs> – I don't know. I mean, I guess I'd have to hear your thoughts. I don't think it's absolutely ludicrous and completely unrealistic, but then again, you know, it's it's difficult, like I said, to to evaluate uh, a coach's, a manager's contract rather than a player. It's just such a different world. It's an entirely different world, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to go ahead and make some comparisons anyway. Of Bayern's entire transfer history, uh, the reported number again, between 15 and 20 million euros. Uh, 15 to 20 million occupies positions 19 through 22 in Bayern's all-time transfer list. Um, the lowest is 15 million, and that's what Bayern paid to get Miroslav Kloza to come from Werder Bremen to Bayern in the 0708 season. 20 million is how much Bayern paid in the 2017-18 season to get Nicholas Sula off the hands of Hoffenheim. And in between the two of them, at 17 million we have Luis Gustavo coming from Hoffenheim in the 2010-11 season and at 19.75 million from Deportivo La Coruña, Roy McKay, <laughs> the 28-year-old Roy McKay. Um I think that there is no better fit for Bayern than Julian Nagelsmann. He's been rumored with the job for a while. Uh, I think that he's got the pedigree. He's got the intuition. He's young, which will help Brazo in that he won't feel the need to fight for superiority in terms of transfer decisions. Not to mention, Nagelsmann's very used to dealing with uh, a sporting director and having a team handed to him and saying, here, do something with this. So, Jake, we could also add, too, Nagelsmann, in a few months' time, could also be lifting first piece of silverware for RB Leipzig in a very long time. Would be their biggest achievement, I would say, since promotion to the Bundesliga and qualification to the Champions League. It'd be their first piece of major silverware, at least. Um, Top flight silverware, at least. Um, So, I think Nagelsmann is worth 15 million. 20 million is a little high. 15 million, I can understand. I can get around 15 million. Especially considering the other... Managers that are linked with this Bayern job, specifically the one that got announced today, Massimiliano Allegri. I would rather pay $15 million to make Massimiliano Allegri go away from this team (laughs) than to have him come to Bayern. So if we're talking about $15 million being the difference between Nagelsmann now and Allegri now, I would consider that to be about fair. 
if we're talking like we need to get somebody, I'd still pay fifteen million to go and get Nagelsmann. Um, like, there's a long list of people that I would consider. Jake, would you even add a premium for uh, Nagelsmann's fashion sense? And, you know, those uh, <laughs> back when he was at Hoffenheim, standing on the touchlines at the Allianz Arena with the, uh, the waxed eyebrows and his uh, flannel shirts. I mean, that could be I, worth a premium I, in of itself. I thought that went without saying. Yes, it I does. I thought that went without saying. Roughly um, five mil <laughs> for, for add-ons for that? I'd say about. Um, I'm, like, trying to think. There's a laundry list of people that I would take over Massimiliano Allegri. Nagelsmann's on top. Um, I wouldn't take Yogi Love. Uh, I would take Eric Ten Hag. I might even. I would take Ralph Hazenhutl. I might take. Like this might be a bold statement. I might even take David Wagner over Massimiliano Allegri. Uh, I just don't think that Allegri has the style that would fit Bayern. Not to mention, he had a decent sway over transfer decisions at Juventus. So he would have to have a major learning curve coming from that, from what he is used to, and the Italian national team to go all the way to Bayern, where what we basically have going on right now is a power struggle between the coach and the general manager, or the sporting director, right? And it's clear that the sporting director is going to win, Right, from all of this. If it comes down to it, it's clear the sporting director is going to win. So you need to get somebody that the sporting director would be able to work with. Right, somebody that won't challenge him because if if there was any time to get Brazo out, if any of you Brazo haters out there want Brazo out, now is the time, but it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because if it was going to happen, then you'd hear a lot of transfer rumors of Brazo leaving. Not a lot of Hansi leaving. And we're pretty much only hearing Hansi leaving. So, I think that Nagelsmann will be interested in the Bayern job. Especially considering how gutted Leipzig are going to get this summer. Um, not necessarily in their midfield, but they're going to lose Lookman back on loan to Tottenham. They're going to lose Clivert back on loan to Roma. They're going to lose Upamecano to us. They're going to lose Konate to Liverpool. So they're getting gutted. I think the only people that might stay there are Peter Galashi and then take a coin flip on either Marcel Hastenberg or Lukas Klostermann. Uh, I would not be surprised if either of them stayed, but if one of them left, I also wouldn't be shocked. So they're going to need a rebuild. Those are They're going to need an actual rebuild. They're going to need a full rebuild. And considering how Red Bull likes to promote from within, it would make sense for Jesse Marsh to make that jump. But especially because he's worked with a number of the players that are currently on that team from when they were back in Salzburg. And considering his successful track record with younger players, I think that would make the most sense. right? Otherwise, you're looking at Ralph Ranić taking a demotion back to being the head coach. Uh, so I think that's what's going to happen. I personally think that's what's going to happen. I think Bayern's going to pony up the money for that. If they're going to pay $40 million to get uh, Kamavinga in, $15 million for Nagelsmann is nothing. You can lock up Nagelsmann for three years if you get him to stay. Um, if you get him to agree to this, I imagine Nagelsmann stays for a while. So 
I think it's a better idea to go ahead and make that investment now as opposed to rolling the dice in the future. So that is where we're going to wrap this episode up. Thank you very much for listening. Please be sure to like, rate, share, subscribe, and download us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your quality audio content. Follow us on Twitter at BavarianFBWorks. Follow Tom on Twitter at TommyAdam71. Follow me on Twitter at JeffersonFenner. And until next time, where we bring you a preview of Bayern's weekend matchup in the Bundesliga, we will see you all later. Auf Wiedersehen.